0: Quickly, sort of give you context where we're at um, in James. First verse of James, James addresses his letter to the dispersed Christians and he writes this letter to them uh, to encourage them to mature their faith. And then in uh, verse 2 to verse 12, James will speak to um, these people about their response to trials. And we saw some of these verses in our wisdom series, uh, having wisdom regarding trials. And um, James will tell the readers that if they don't respond correctly to trials, that if they you know, don't see that they are from the Lord's hand for their good, and they respond wrongly, it will lead to temptation. And then James addresses that in verses 13 to 16, and talks to them about their response to temptation. So response to trials and then response to temptation. And he will tell his belie- the believers and the readers that God is not responsible at all for them being tempted. God does not tempt them. It's out of their own uh, traitor within their hearts. And uh, he uses two terms. He says that sin, this temptation, will uh, entice them. For those hunters out there, that's a hunting term, okay, to trap somebody. If you don't hunt and you're like Dave O'Lear and fishes, he uses that term. And it says, and this temptation will allure you away. So he uses those terms that will bring us away from God. So our response to trials, if not dealt with correctly, then James deals with our response to temptation. And then where we find ourselves this morning is our response to the truth, God's word. And verse 17 is the hinge saying God is not responsible for our temptation. And as an antithesis, antithesis is... um that He is wholly responsible for all our good gifts. And so, let's pray before we jump into James chapter 1 and verse 17 to 20. Won't you pray with me? Father, help us this morning, I pray, that we would receive uh, in humility the word of truth implanted, which is able to save our souls. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My version may not match some of you, so I've put it up on the screen. i am be using the New American Standard uh, Bible, but it's on the screen. If you want to follow along in your version, that's fine too. So James writes in verse 17, and he says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits." Among his creatures. Verse 19 This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So, as you'll have on your pieces of paper or on the heading before, is the um, sermon title is Gifts of the Giver. And the first thing there it talks about is all good gifts. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. And so James has told us that temptation does not come from God in verses 13 to 16. And so he clearly shows us now what does come from God and says, only that which is good and perfect comes from God. Because God will only give you what is an extension of himself. He is good and he is perfect. So therefore, all that comes from him is good and it is perfect. So in the negative sense, God is far removed from the possibility of tempting us. So in the positive sense, everything good is all of His doing. It is perfect. It is from above. Literally, it means all good giving is from God. He is the source. Every gift from God is intrinsically good, and it is perfect. And we need to see that everything that we have from God is good, And then conversely, if we don't get something from God, could we say that it is therefore bad? You think that everything comes from God? And if he doesn't give it to us, that particular something, could we say then that is bad? Maybe you're thinking with me, okay, well, maybe you've been praying. and say, God, I wish I had that new job. I wish I had a wife. I wish I had more children. And I'm pointing down the middle, because in the first service, I pointed over there, and there was Bill and Robin. They were... (laughs) <laughs> More children? No. But we think like that. We say, okay, well, these are good things. Good to maybe have a good job. Maybe good to have a wife. You know the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But if God withholds that from us, can we maybe say that that thing for us, maybe at that particular point in time, is not the best for us. So we can see that everything that God gives us is good. And conversely, everything that he may not give us, at that particular point in time at least sometimes with a lot of other things around it, would not be for our best. And God withholds that from us. So this morning you want to see that all good gifts do come from Him, come from God. And that particular something may not be His good and best and perfectness for us at that particular point in time. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, after the passage about ask and seek and knock, Jesus says this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? So we who are parents, we know, even practically in our here and now parenting, we don't give our children everything they ask for. Okay, We know, and it says we being evil, know how to give good gifts and how to withhold things. How much more God knows how to give what is good and what is perfect to us? We can trust Him in these things. So we see all good gifts come from, the second point here, the great giver. James writes and says, coming down from the Father of light. This is the old Jewish title for God, reflecting Genesis chapter 1, talking about God as the great giver of light. In the beginning, he said, let there be light. And it's referring to this. And so we see these stars, and we see these planets, and they're magnificent, and they're splendid, but they will Fade, they will not last forever. But God who created them all, the giver of light, the great giver, the father of lights, he will not fade, he will not change, he will not cease to be, he will always be perfect in power and knowledge and wisdom and love. James writes there and says, There is no variation, no shifting shadow. We don't get this today in our modern era of electricity. And everything, but maybe when the lights go out and you grab a candle, as they would have in those days, had a candle all the time. You're in a room, just the slightest hint of a wind, and the flame flickers and the shadows move on the walls. Well this is James is saying here. He doesn't even have that varying in a shifting shadow. James gives us the doctrine of what we have today is the immutability of God. We as a church looked at it in summer, the attributes of God, to mutate to change, and therefore an I am in front of it, to not change. He doesn't change one bit. God has not changed an itty little bit in all eternity. He doesn't even have the slightest shifting of a shadow at all. In Malachi 3.6, the Lord declares and says, I, the Lord, do not change. I am sure. And so we can see that this is a sure God. We can be sure that He is to give us the good and perfect gifts that He has decided for us. Later on in Hebrews, closer to the summer, when we get to chapter, God willing, chapter 13 and verse 8, it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And so these good gifts from God are sure because He is sure. So what is the best gift for us creatures where do we see that God is most dependable? Well, we look at the next verse, and it says, "...in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures." So all good gifts from the great giver who does not change, and now the greatest gift. And under the greatest gift, we're going to see a, a who, a, a what, a how, and a why under the greatest gift." So who? Well, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth. See, if God did not choose to work in our hearts, we would not choose Him. In John 1, 1 John 4 verse 19, says, We love because He first loved us. Paul asked the Roman church in chapter 3 verse 11, he says, says this, There is no one righteous, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Without God first out of the exercise of His will pursuing us, we would not pursue Him. And then Jesus' own words in John six sixty five 65 says, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it is being granted to him by the Father. So we will not seek God without God first working and exercising His will. The word there is actually having willed it. And it's placed in the first part of the sentence. For the Greek guys, you put the important things first. And it says, having willed it, he has decided to bring us forth. So who initiates this greatest gift in our lives? It is God, the great giver. So what is this greatest gift? It says there, in the exercise of his will, God working in our hearts, Okay, he brought us forth. That is a pregnant term. Okay, he brought us forth. There's reference to a same term uh, in James one verse fifteen, where it talks about and how the temptation and lust gives birth to sin. It's the same word, and that leads to death. It's the same sort of terminology when Nicodemus comes to Jesus late at night in John chapter three, and Jesus talks to him and says, "You need to be born again." So here he's saying this in the exercise of His will. He brought us forth. Now we know practically no children here or no child or baby has ever come into this world by his own plan. Conception, gestation, birthing, it's not his design. It didn't come out of their consciousness or out of their design at all. It is They were merely passive recipients of the parent's decision. And so when God works in our hearts and brings us forth, yes, we respond to that in faith, And we trust Christ for salvation, but if He doesn't work in our hearts through His Holy Spirit, and as we'll see in a moment, the key, um, we will not ever respond to God in that way. Just listen to Ezekiel chapter 36, and I'll emphasize the importance of us seeing the great God as the one who works this in our hearts. Ezekiel 36 verse 26 to 27, it says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will Remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And once he's done all of that, then you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So God is the one who reaches into our lives and gives us the greatest gift. If he did not do that, we would remain as our sinful selves, dead in our trespasses, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, and I was with um, some folks last night with uh, um, Dinner for Eight. Uh, we gate crashed their Dinner for Eight and had coffee. So, all drinks. And uh, it was lovely to see how God had worked in these people's lives. When they would all tell you, yeah, and if you were, you I can't see all of you, but um, where they were and they're now where they are by the grace of God. A total change. Uh, Augustine, uh, one of the uh, early fathers of the faith, He was a terrible man in his youth. He used to be with a whole bunch of women and do terrible things. And his mother prayed for him. And eventually he came to Christ. And one day after he was saved, he was walking down the streets of the town that he used to live in. And one of his previous ladies um, yelled at him from across the street, Augustine, you know, and he sort of carried on walking. She yells, Augustine, you know, and he carries on walking. She runs across the street and she stands right in front of him. She goes, Augustine, (laughs) you can imagine her, it is I, He says, yes, I know, but it is not I. Knowing and showing her that I am not who I used to be by the grace of God. He has brought me forth by His will and I am changed. So this greatest gift, what is it? Now maybe some of you might say, it's our salvation. It's not. Now some of you, oh boy, I'm going to tell Dave. (laughs) What? (laughs) Now, listen carefully. (laughs) Salvation is part of it. Marriage, let me pick on somebody who's married here. There we go. I'll pick on Dave O'Leary and Lynn. Okay. Now, if I had to say to you, now, your marriage, is it that certificate? You get a certificate here, a marriage certificate. Okay. There we go. Is that it? No, that's not that. What about this? Is it your marriage? Come on. No, it's not your marriage. Well, Lynn has your last name. Well, that's not what it is, okay? But you even stay in the same residence. That's not marriage. That's part of marriage. What is it? It's the relationship that you have. And so our greatest gift is not salvation. It's the fact that we can have a relationship with our Savior. Yes, we are saved from hell. Yes, we will be forever with the Lord. But it's the relationship with Christ. That's the greatest gift gift that we have. Paul says this clearly. He says in Romans 8 verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? With Christ. Here in Orchard we have a wonderful saying. It says, Make and become saved people. No. Make and become heaven-bound saints. No. No make and become fully devoted followers of Christ. That is a relationship. So our greatest gift is our relationship with the Savior. And we must continue to pray that this would be the case here. In whatever is preached, whatever is taught, that we would do this. So how? We know who gives this greatest gift. It's God. He wills it. What is this greatest gift? Our Savior. So how? Let's keep on reading. Verse 18. In the exercise of His will... He brought us forth how? By the word of truth. There's only one way that spiritually dead sinners are brought to life. It's by the word of truth. Now we've all heard the saying and you could probably finish it for me. Witness at all times and when necessary use words. Well, I'll be I'll be honest and blatant it's it's a bit daft because it's like saying, feed the hungry at all times, and when necessary, use food. Now, we, we laugh at it, but, and I understand what the person who said that is, is coming from. Okay, so when you're at work, and you don't go and drink with the buddies on Friday afternoon or whatever it is, people might look at your life and go, there's something different about that guy. And so there is a witness that you are giving. But if they come up to you and say to you, why are you different? And you go... And you just go away. And oh, yeah, I've witnessed with my... No. You need to have the word of truth that comes with it. When that opportunity comes, then you can say, well, let me tell you. I was just like you. I am a sinner in need of grace. And I trusted Christ. He is the one who worked in my heart by God's gracious gift to me in having a relationship with my Savior. That's sharing the gospel with that particular person. And so Paul also loves this particular saying, the word of Of truth. That's how people come to faith in Christ. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 5, he says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. He puts those two together, the word of truth, the gospel. And he talks to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. If there's any Awana people here, you will know this verse. It says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And so here at Orchard we have that. We open the word of truth when we preach. We read the word of truth at worship services. We sing the word of truth. We pray the word of truth. We see the word of truth in baptism and communions. We obey the word of truth in giving our gifts as worship. So this is a fundamental part of what we need to do. So the word of truth is that which brings the greatest gift, a loving heart relationship with our Savior. And it doesn't just stop there at salvation. Okay, now I'm saved. So that's the word of truth, the greatest gift, get Jesus all done. Well, Paul talks later on in Ephesians, in chapter 5, and he says this, Christ gave himself up for her, talking about the church, believers. Christ gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, bring her along this path of, of Christian living, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. And So it doesn't just stop there at salvation. This word of truth continues on in our lives. And then finally, about this word of truth being what God uses to bring us forth in the exercise of His will, a well-known passage, and Paul rhetorically asks the Romans in chapter 10, and he says in verse 14, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? A couple of verses later, he says, So? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so that is it. So who brings about our greatest gift? God. What is our greatest gift? Christ Himself as our Savior. And how? Through the Word of Truth, with the Holy Spirit, working it in our lives too, Okay, but through the Word of Truth. And so then I ask why. Let's continue to read. Why? So that, so here's the why, so that, We would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. For the Jewish people, this is a picture of harvest. So when the harvest would come, they would take the first of their harvest. And they would take it to the temple and they would consecrate it to the Lord. Their first fruits, symbolizing also that whatever else comes from the harvest, I will also be giving the portions that are necessary to the Lord. So this is my first sort of down payment, as it were. I will acknowledge God's good hand in this and bring to him what else also comes from this harvest. So take that to be spiritually then. Firstly, there's two folds here. So firstly, is when this early church, so James is the pastor of the Jerusalem church. James is the half-brother of Jesus, so Mary and Joseph's son, oldest son, James. And he's talking and saying, you will be a first fruit. So those early Christian believers, Jewish and Gentile, they would be sort of the down payment of the Christians who were to come. And so us, being worked, our hearts being worked in by God and the exercise of His will and giving us a Savior all right, through the preaching of the Word would then also become this group of first fruits for the many Christians to come and those in 2017 in Rochester the first down payment of those Christians who were to come. Then also it works in an individual capacity. When we are born again and trust Christ as our Savior, that starts the the first fruits of our Christianity because it doesn't end there. Because we look forward to, you know, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So even in our own lives, this great gift of our Savior, why? So that we would be a first fruits. It would start here and it would grow and mature as people grow numerically the gospel as well as you as an individual growing in knowledge of, of your Savior to that one day in the future. So we've seen now all good gifts. We've seen the great giver. And now for the third point, the getter. And I'm sure Claudia's having a conniption because that's really bad English. Okay, the getter. But it's alliteration. Okay, it is alliteration. Hey, G, G, G. I G. I'm so. So the gift, the giver, and the receiver just didn't work. So the getter. Okay, the getter. So us as believers, these first fruits, so what are we now going to do with this truth? Because the whole passage is about our response to the truth of God's word revealed to us. Well, let's continue to read in verse. 19 this you know my beloved brethren but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger when a sin, sinner comes to Christ is a, a newborn christian and the bible talks about craving the pure milk of the word okay and so in the and, and babies do that babies born needs milk we all know that so when when uh, people are saved and they need to know the truth and they need to grow One person said this that when you are saved, your spiritually, uh, what do you call it, our spiritual dial is tuned to the frequency of Scripture as newborn believers. And as we mature, it should always be tuned to the frequency of Scripture. Only true believers will really seek after the Lord and to know the truth of His Word. So when you read these, this passage here, especially, you know, everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Sometimes we use this in the, in the context of relationships. Um, so I have a, uh, I'll pick Dan Keenan. I have a problem with Dan. Okay. So the, And I know the Bible says I must be quick to hear Dan's point of view, slow to speak my point of view, and make sure I don't get angry when he doesn't agree with me and we use this as a uh, relational principle we even quote uh, the zeno the stoic philosopher you know you have two ears and one mouth means you should listen twice as much as you speak okay so those are principles and they're good principles it's not what james is getting at here in particular if you want that relational principle with like dan and me having a discussion an argument or whatever it might be This is not where you go to be quick to hear his point of view, slow to speak, my point of view, make sure you don't get angry. Rather go to Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about, you know, consider the other person more important than yourselves. Look not on your own interests but on the interests of others. Those are passages where we go to. So what James is particularly mentioning here, he says it here. He says, okay, so this you know, my beloved brethren. Okay, so you ask yourself, what do I know? And how you do that is you look around, you look at the verses before, you look at the verses after and see where the context is. So in verse 18, we've just seen, you've been brought forth by, and he says there, word of truth, okay, believers having a relationship with Christ. Verse 21, which we won't look at in detail this morning, but you can look in your Bible there, it talks about receive with humility the word implanted, that's linking, that's able to save your souls. It says that's linking back to being brought forth, so the word implanted. Verse 22, it says, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word. In verse 23, figuratively, talks about the word being a mirror. And then verse 25, it talks about the perfect law. So in the context here, James is saying, be quick, be swift to hear the teaching of the word of God. That's what he's saying here. One pastor said to his congregation when he came up to speak, he says, I understand I am here to speak, and you are here to listen. Let's hope we both finish at the same time. Now, we've all been guilty of that, finishing listening before the Bible study teacher or Sunday school teacher or preachers finished speaking. Uh, My kids and I, we were reading uh, Acts Chapter 20, when Paul preached late into the night and poor little young Eutychus fell out the window because he fell asleep. Okay, And then Paul had to go downstairs, lay on him, raise him back up to life, went back up, and then carried on preaching till dawn. Okay, I'm pretty sure Eutychus didn't fall asleep again or at least didn't sit by a window. Okay, So be careful up there. Don't right? <laughs> fall asleep. But be quick to hear God's word. And our first response should be that, should be eager to pursue every opportunity to know God's Word, to see His will revealed for us better and to understand it. Well, how are we to obey God when we don't know what His Word says? We can't, so we need to be quick to hear the Word of God. In John's Gospel, there's many statements. I'll just read one for you. In John 10, verse 26, Jesus speaks and says, He who who is of God... Hears the word of God. And for this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. We have this often in the scriptures. He who has an ear, let him hear. Especially in Revelation to the seven churches. Revelation 1, 2, and 3. He who has an ear, let him hear. David loved the word of truth. In Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony is all words for the word of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The testimony of the um, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119 is all about the word of the Lord, and James implores his Christian brothers and sisters and us today, here at Orchard, to grab every opportunity to increase in our exposure to Scripture and to take advantage of every privileged occasion that we have to read God's Word and to hear it faithfully preached and taught in Sunday school. The Word of the Lord, when you are blessed, turn to the Word of truth with thanksgiving and praise. When you are troubled, turn to the Word of truth for comfort and encouragement and strength. When you are confused, turn to the Word of truth for wisdom and guidance. And as James even says, when you are tempted, turn to the Word of truth for deliverance. We know also, I must just say, that the word of truth is not only just the Bible, but we also know that Jesus Christ is the word of truth. And by saying that too, we run to Christ. And we know Christ by knowing his truth, his word. One pastor says, the word of truth becomes the most welcome friend, not only because of what it delivers us from, but also what it delivers us to, which is an intimate and a loving communion with our heavenly Savior. So be quick to hear. In South Africa, on the highways, we put up these gantries that bill you, like e toll, e-tag type things. We drive 75 miles an hour in South Africa on our highways. It's painful for me on 390, 55. I'm like, Come. I do drive 55, just so you know. But we drive, and then you can just drive at 75 and go through the, the gantry, and you have a little e-tag in our car. And we used to play a game. The kids used to play a game. As soon as you go through, the thing will go, beep. Do you guys remember it? And they would say, I heard it. I heard it. Okay. We eventually got so loud, you know, I'm driving, I forget the gantry's there and all of a sudden, I heard it. And I'm, <laughs> so we had to do fingers. Like you just, first one to show the thing, ping, point up a finger, we get that. But that's how we should be when we come to the gantry of God's word. Beep. I heard it. I was quick to hear the word of the Lord. What happens here at Orchard is what is called expository preaching. We expose the text. Okay. There's a guy by the name of Ken Ramey. He wrote a book, Expository Listening, for every church member, congregant, to read through and say, how am I going to be better equipped to listen expositorially, to be quick to hear? So James calls them and says, my beloved brethren. He doesn't want them to know an intellectual concept here. Sort of, okay, that's the argument. Go okay, better be quick to listen. But he's gracious. He calls them his beloved brethren. He wants to appeal to their hearts and say, be quick to hear the word of your Savior. Be quick to hear it. And then he continues on and says, be slow to speak. James will spend a whole chapter in chapter 3 about the tongue. How we speak to one another. Okay? But what he's talking about here in particular Is when the word is preached and you are quick to hear it, don't be so quick to formulate your own thoughts and be ready maybe to, I'm going to get the pastor in the foyer afterwards and I'm going to tell him what I think maybe about this or or whatever it is that may come to to mind. Be, Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Be silent on the outside and silence on the inside so that we make sure. Because you and I both know we can't do two things at once. You can't hear something and be thinking about your own thing. At least I can't. Maybe some of you ladies can, multitaskers. But generally speaking, we can't do that. Be careful that we aren't thinking our own thoughts so much that we aren't hearing what God's Word says. And then secondly, also linked to this, is when you do speak. When you have that opportunity not only to preach, teach, counsel a friend, that we be slow to do so and we be careful to do so, so we be careful to teach them or share with them the word of truth. Remember, that's the context. Be quick to hear the word of truth. Slow and careful to speak the word of truth to those people around us. It's being patient when we get given those opportunities. Especially for those of you who teach maybe from here or various other places, James warns us in chapter 3 verse 1, and he says, you shouldn't be so eager. Be careful to desire those things because those teachers will be given a stricter judgment. So this morning, even as I was thinking through this, I'm reminded that we shouldn't rush here quickly. Be careful and circumspect. And rather, they must. whenever we share the word of truth with somebody, not just teaching platform, but counseling one another, and we do that a lot here, that we must be reluctant, and I mean by reluctant not disinclined to do it, oh, I don't want to do it, but, but rather a understand the weight and the gravitas. And when we do so, we speak the word of truth. The Scottish reformer John Knox, when he was a young man, he was called to preach for his first time. And um, it's recorded, um, it says here, he burst forth with most abundant tears. It's not tears of joy, okay? He was, what, you're asking me to preach the word of the Lord? And he withdrew himself to his chamber. And his countenance and his behavior from that day until the day he was compelled to present himself to the public place of preaching did sufficiently declare that he was troubled of heart. Not that he didn't want to do it, but he recognized the gravity with the responsibility that he would speak the word of truth to the people. You see, when the Bible speaks... God speaks, and so we have to be careful that when we share the word of truth with those around us, even in counselling and friendship discussions, and that that we have a gravitas around it that this is the word of the Lord. In those times, people would um, go to a famous orator and want them to be their professor to teach them how to speak. And one young man came to a famous orator in in, in the early Greek culture and. I wanted him to teach him how to speak. And he said, "Well, no, this is what I need to do, and I want you to teach me this, and this is what I've done, and, blah, 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 and he carried it on. And the poor orator couldn't get a word in until eventually they got to the point where they discussed the fee. And he said, well, young man, I'm sorry to say, but I'm going to have to charge you double. And the young man says, why? He says, well, firstly, I need to teach you to listen, and then I will teach you to speak. And so we need to be quick to hear God's word. Be slow and careful when we share it. Doesn't mean we don't share it, but we need to be careful to do so. And then James carries on: slow to anger. This is anger. This is not a, an angry outburst, anger like a volcano. Ah, okay, that word would be thumos. This is that simmering, seething resentment. Slow to anger. And in the context here, James is, is speaking about. Being angry at the truth of the word when it confronts our sin, maybe it goes up against one of our cherished personal beliefs. Well, I don't think that's right. You know, I've always believed this, maybe, and we get antsy about it. We get resentful. Like, I don't want to believe that. That's what James is warning about. You be careful that it doesn't make you angry. Now, I know there is place and some people have shared they go maybe to a funeral or something, and the particular pastor, priest, whoever it might be, might be saying something that are totally unbiblical and heretical. There is a place for a righteous anger at mishandling of God's truth. I understand that. But if the word is faithfully brought, and it's clearly outlaid, and we see what it means, and it's in the context, and we understand, if we are angry at that because it's going against what I think should be right, we must be careful because then we are going or going against God and His truth. And that's what James warns about. Paul even writes to the Galatians and says to them in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They got grumpy with him too. So James says here, the anger of man, this anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. This anger, bitterness, resentment that James is addressing here can never serve the cause of Christ to work in our Lives and to achieve the righteousness of God, and an angry attitude to the Word of Truth will never bring about what is right in your life, what is righteous in your life. Being righteous doesn't ever happen outside of God's truth. Okay, God's truth, spoken clearly, will bring about His righteousness and working in our lives. And as we close in a in a moment or so, I was just. Um, Challenge that sometimes and maybe I can share with you that don't be so con- be more concerned about being righteous than about being right. Oftentimes we want to be right about things all the time, and we forget this part. God wants us to be righteous because the truth is working in our hearts, and because we are quick to hear it, slow to speak it. And we see him as the great giver of the perfect gift for us, which is Christ, our Savior. So when we come to sit under God's truth, wherever it is at Orchard, even at your home, privately, that we would listen to the word of truth. Let's pray together. Father God, I do rejoice um, that here at Orchard, we do desire to know your truth. And we do see faithful handling of your truth in all areas. And Father, I ask that you take these words of truth, that you would engraft them into our lives, um, that every time we come under the word of truth, we will be quick to hear it. And especially for those who teach it, we would be slow and careful to teach it. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to obey your truth um, without any anger, and that by your grace you would work in us your righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.